0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keane with David Gura. Daily we bring you insight from the best of economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course on the Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Surveillance, Tom Keane,
1: and today Michael McKee filling in for David Gura. We are living in a parallel universe these days, it seems, with everything going on. The gods cannot be happy with all the uh, natural disasters happening. But I mean, And you look what's happening in Washington, and you have a Republican president who is insulting on a daily basis the leaders of the House and Senate, who are Republicans, and he is making deals with Democrats, even though they control all the branches of government, uh, except for the Supreme Court. Uh, but... Uh, it, <laughs> and they can't get anything done, so he goes to the other side to do something. This is a little bit insane. Chuck Gabriel um, is one of the people who has uh, suffered through all this as the chief Washington analyst for Capital Alpha Partners. He's uh, nice enough to be here in studio with us now. Um, I don't know how you use the transmogrifier to get back from this other universe that you live in down there, but... uh, 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 can, have you ever seen anything like? I, I worked in Washington for twenty years. I never seen anything like this.
2: No, but on the other, you know, it's dogs and cats living together, wrath of God stuff, as Bill Murray would have said in, in um, uh, Ghostbusters. But um, you know, uh, Trump did not come to necessarily unify Washington. He came to divide and to drain the swamp, if you will. And you know, I, th- I think it's interesting that Republicans seem surprised uh, that his agenda doesn't always overlap with theirs uh... and that they being the majority in both the house and senate uh... they being the incumbents you know are really bearing the brunt of his frustration now that uh... you know he's had months of their having to grapple with these very tough budget rules in a fifty two forty eight senate majority uh... and he just kind of broke out yesterday and you know there could some be positives in this but on the other hand it really points to a very nervous winter and i and i uh, agree with jerome the the bond markets response to the net of all that uh you're dealing with today uh, in the uh, in the debt markets is really quite something. I may be missing something, you know.
0: Yeah. I, I look at this, and I, and I guess, Chuck, this is away from your Beltway expertise. What do the electorate want? What is Paul Ryan's voters in southern Wisconsin? What are the people of Kentucky, the four shades of Kentucky that Mr. McConnell have? Trump was—the president was elected because people can't stand— chuck gabriel's world right that's what he did yesterday or two days ago i I mean why are we surprised
2: no i i I agree with you but on the other hand you know they didn't uh elect donald trump to go to washington and to throw away the debt limit and and to, to move on towards a runaway spin fest either so I, I think the notion that we're off on a, on a fiscal you know a tangent and into fiscal discipline, some of my my good friends and competitors that are arguing that today you know, are well ahead of themselves. but you know this this division is is really quite something, and it's, it, you have to, Republicans have to all but thread a needle right to move through with tax reform. The sprint, yeah. base broadening tax reform is mm-hmm. very difficult, as you know, Tom, and this, this is just not going to make no. it any easier.
0: Why don't you bring in our esteemed guest who's writing his morning well, note as we speak, <laughs> Chuck Gabriel
2: of Capital Alpha Partners? Uh,
1: b- before the break, you were talking about him uh, being the guy that uh, uh, you know does. Sh- uh, th- th- they came to Washington to drain the swamp. Um, some people say he's filling the swamp given some of his appointments. But Washington isn't going to be the same after this.
2: No, that's quite true, and and I, I think uh, it's it's interesting that. Um, Tom had started to ask the question rhetorically about what John Boehner would do. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm tempted to say resign, even though I was a big fan of Mr. Boehner, because you had Charlie Dent, a seven-term Republican moderate step from, from Pennsylvania, yeah. step yeah. away. It's You know, the frustration's trying to set in. Uh, but, you know, in terms of Paul Ryan really is in the biggest squeeze here, because, you know, tax reform is the next order of business, and it's going to be a real challenge for him to... Try to navigate these budget rules and keep the White House engaged and to resist the temptation just to ignore the White House. And, you know, he already right. tried a pre negotiated draft health care bill to evade regular order and that failed. So, you know, one thing, not to interrupt you, Tom, but I mean, basically, the deal that the president cut with the Democratic leaders yesterday will really make it harder to move tax reform because we need a budget resolution to be able to move a tax reform through what we call reconciliation. In order to get a budget resolution, they really have to vent a, a guns for butter debate uh, that a, a shutdown would have helped. It would have actually helped to have a little okay. government shutdown in September. There's now, a
0: primal scream over the history of everything I've done at Bloomberg to find a middle ground. Instinctively, what? Ever anybody thinks about the president pro and con? We got a huge uh, block of pro Trump supporters that listen every day to this show, coast to coast, and a lot of part, you know, not in the sanctuary cities, if you will. Is the president finding that ground between Olympia Snow and Scoop Jackson that's disappeared?
2: Not even close. You know, really explain
0: that because I would suggest that the president, if you're listening, Mr. President, we'd love you to call in and uh, speak to us. That's what he thinks he's doing
2: well you know and with a fifty two forty eight majority the the Republican moderates are very, very important and could be in position to be swing voters, but the president with his with his you know constant shifting uh, and you know, being off message has made it really very hard for republicans to you know to stay on course, and they are really dealing with some really difficult Uh, budget rules, and a very narrow Senate majority. So they've unfortunately been compelled to try to play by the rules. And and he is basically nipping at their heels along the way. It, It reminds me sort of like the old... You know, the the, the way the uh, Americans actually won the Revolutionary War with the Redcoats just marching down the road. I mean, uh, Trump is basically yeah. firing away from the corners. The president yeah. at, at his own party. It's
0: amazing. Good morning, Lexington and Concord out west of Boston on 106.1 FM. It's like the Johnny Tremaine movie, I guess. It's Johnny Tremaine politics from another time and place. <laughs> Chuck Gabriel, then with that said, let me ask Civics 101 in a back-to-school mode. Who's more important for budget— Who's more important for tax reform, the Senate or the House? Uh,
2: the Senate is is obviously the long pole in the tent on just about anything. Uh, the House, interestingly enough, because of the Freedom Caucus and uh, Republicans can only lose twenty four votes on any on any measure. They control thirty or, or more. So the House Freedom Caucus is problematic, and they probably are the reason the president felt compelled to just take the ball and, and score with the Democrats yesterday because they were going to need Democratic mm-hmm. votes to extend government funding and the debt limit. But ultimately, when you talk about tax reform, when you talk about a budget resolution, uh, we'll only go as far as the Senate will yield. And so that's that's more important. There's
0: no but question. But to go back to Mr. Boehner, I, I believe what I'm hearing from you is Republicans have to legislate, propose, bring up the laws, et cetera, et cetera. But John Boehner just went over and got Democrat votes. Are we at a point where they can't even bring up the legislation, forgetting about doing the Boehner?
2: Well, I, I think Paul Ryan knew that ultimately he might have to violate the Hastert rule, as we called it, and rely on Democratic votes and and pass a measure that wouldn't even get a majority of support within the Republican caucus.
0: Are we is. there now?
2: Uh, I, well, I think we were there, and then, of course, as of as of yesterday, uh, you know, we we passed a resolution in the Senate. It will be gagged and accepted in the House. What do you, um, that's was that, that was
0: a jargon. why he was looking at me. Yeah, that was jargon. Gagged and accepted. That sounds like teenagers at home.
2: Yeah. Well, you again. You'll have more Democratic votes than percentage Republican votes in the House, but you know, the Senate took the initial 7.85 billion for uh, the hurricane and doubled Harvey. it for mm-hmm. harvey and doubled it that's now the house will indication. pass it with with a big number of democratic votes and we delay this process into december yeah. so it was, it was just uh, yeah. d- you know republicans are dyspeptic from this there's no question we're
0: gonna we now go to our expert on pork or surveillance expert on pork john tucker did new jersey get its proper funding for hurricane harvey
1: <laughs> uh we're still <laughs> waiting for a proper uh, funding Funny. from sandy
0: <laughs> Well, we we'll still be... not recover from that no well, well that's a just, but it's a serious issue I mean, it's still uh, absolutely. finding funds.
3: No, you go down where I live uh, at the shore, there's still places that never recovered.
0: Yeah. Still and waiting. we'll see the much larger Harvey. And really, the image of the day, thanks to Jim Romer and all of uh, the people that have been assisting our team with uh, weather and geography, the photo image of the Andrew pinwheel transposed adjacent to the Irma pinwheel is Jaw dropping. It's just amazing the difference uh, in the scope and scale of Irma. We'll have reports on Irma all through the day and, of course, the earthquake in Mexico as well. Thank you to Charles Gabriel, the Capital Alpha Partners for Washington Wisdom. We continue features negative seven, coast to coast. This is Bloomberg. to bring in now uh, this is a real honor because he's someone who's really led with intellect on Wall Street which is of course the heart and soul that we've done at bloomberg for years jeffrey solomon i, I guess he's a banker did you were you with uh, professor summers at pennsylvania did you study with larry summers uh, father
4: i did not study i you're was a, econo- i was an economics major and yeah. a theater minor no i did not study. An wait economics a and theater so <laughs> <I> you're <laughs> a candidate
0: so to, to, to be the next fed chairman I right think <laughs> <you are. laughs>
4: I, 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 can, I can learn how to act like one. How did you combine
0: those two <laughs> How things? did you combine economics and theater?
4: Well, I, look, economics is a, is really just a study of how people, uh, like, rational and irrational yeah. behavior. And I would say theater is just a manifestation of mm-hmm. how that happens on stage.
0: Okay. Jeffrey Solomon with us, a cowan, as we uh, 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 look at the state, particularly of research. I, I go to the idea of Oliver Chen, who's given us great value, your great Washington team. Helene Becker. Every year you have to explain to Kai Von Rumer he can't retire. I mean, you know, just you, Kai, you can. He's, he's absolutely uh, – Well, he demonstrably... explains to me
4: generally why he won't retire, yeah. which is great. <laughs> which is great. But,
0: you know, he owns aerospace and that. How are guys like you – the beasts of Wall Street going to keep that talent? How are you going to keep them, given London MIFID and what's going on here with research compensation?
4: So I I think that the trend is going to continue to be that people expect excellence in research, or they're not going to pay for it. And I think one of the misunderstandings uh, that a lot of folks have is, oh, research wallets are coming down, and there's this perception uh, that uh, research wallets uh, are going to get slashed across the board. I actually think people are just going to limit the number of research providers they have. There's two ways to bring down your research budget, if that's what MIFID 2 is going to do, and if if that's what uh, people are, are trying to do here in the United States to improve their performance, you can either Slash across the board, which I would not advise, or you can cut research providers. And so what I what we're seeing happening is weaker research providers, those who aren't adding value. What I would call the me-too research or elevator research, as we like to refer yeah. to, like this went up, this went down, this went yeah. up, this that, well, went that. Yeah. You're, there's no value. There's no value in that. <laughs> and gonna, so those research providers are just yeah. not going to get paid. How's
0: Oliver Chen getting get paid by the adjective and adverb? Uh,
4: <laughs> well, he's <laughs> fantastic. I uh, so Oliver actually is uh, is one of our most collaborative analysts. I mean, he, he really does a tremendous job along with, you know, a lot of our folks, like, for example, works super close with, um, with our internet analyst uh, who covers Amazon. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot to be done in collaboration. So one of the things we try to do at, at, uh, at Calend is we do foster this notion that you can create cutting-edge research collectively, as opposed to individually. And I think a lot of research departments are set up to, yeah, you know, but, but
0: what's critical here, what you've just described is a buy side model within the sell side and every buy side talent saying they're going to build out their. I've never observed the buy side building out their research. Rare T. Rowe price years ago, maybe did it. They always end up going back to the sell side.
4: They, they do. And I think there's, why a, is that? Uh, that so audience. it's whether or not as a, as a, as a, uh, as a research analyst, do you like an audience of many or an audience of one? Yeah. How do you, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, if you, this is a big
0: deal, Mike. No, no, so I like, if you deal.
4: just like an audience of one, you're probably great on the buy side because you're just talking to your PM. Yeah. But if you like an audience of many, if you want to be at the center of the
0: debate. And, and, and Mike, what's interesting about this, PMs really get upset when they're told they only have to talk to interior inside research. They get visibly upset. They want the tension of nutcases like Oliver Chen.
1: Uh, I, well, I have two questions here. But the first one, I want to go back to what you were saying about uh, cutting research. Uh, the The number of providers that you buy, and you have to add value. How do you sell cow and rec- what do you tell people uh, I mean what is it that people want to know? Um, that you can use as your comparative advantage when you're out there uh, against all the other shops who have research.
4: So we have 52 publishing analysts who are looking at themes across industry. So you've got to know and dominate your industry. You've got to be able to, it's not just what you know, but who you know. You've got to pull on your network. And and you can, uh, uh, the ability for you to work across the research universe in, inside Cowan to pull themes together that, that, that are transcendent uh, and that can affect uh, many different industries. Look, we wrote about the Amazon effect two years ago. Over two years ago. In fact, we produced a a short film about it, 30 Minutes, with six research analysts that talked about Amazon and its impact in six different industries ranging from energy and transportation to retail and internet to, obviously, to search. So you you have these things where you can really uh, pull together big themes and really drive uh, value beyond just, again, individual stock picking. Does
1: this give institutional investor even more power? I mean, do do you really, do you have to get on the all-star team so you can go out and they look, our guys really are seen
4: as the best? So I think that's a branding thing. Uh, you know, I I, I, I think uh, playing for I.I., I.I. voters aren't generally the biggest commission payers on the street, and uh, i rather focus on where we are in the vote with the clients that we service. So if we happen to get recognition in I.I., I think that's great, and and, and some uh, analysts yeah. prefer that we go out and do that, and, and we will. But at the end of the go day, the, the, the people that vote, are the ones who uh, pay us, and that's who we're going to spend most of our time with.
0: Jeffrey Solomon, 30 seconds left. Hmm. Tell the CFAs listening right now, as sell-side research analysts, are they going to have a lower paycheck five years from now? Well,
4: uh, I think some will. Some won't be around, but the ones that are really good won't. They'll be fine because, actually, uh, it it matters if you're really good. And I think we're finally getting to a point in our industry where excellence wins and mediocrity gets eliminated.
0: Jeffrey Solomon with Cowan. We thank him and we thank all their research team for perspective. Chris Kruger down in Washington and others as well. And particularly, of course, as we mentioned, Mr. Von Roemer who's truly legendary in the Boeing aerospace tin can uh, world. Our next guest is so esteemed that that I think Michael McKee, you should bring him in and drive this conversation. Well, um, it should go.
1: Yeah, whenever there are openings, his it's name, time of year. His name gets uh, put forward. Um, there's be an opening for um, coaching your, staff Federal Reserve. Chair, and now uh, coaching staff of the New York Jets, maybe. (laughs) Mohamed el is economic advisor to Allianz uh, and uh, an old friend of Bloomberg Surveillance. And we welcome you to the program. And I'm sure we will get... To the green and white, but let us start with the Federal Reserve. And I'm only, I, I'm, I'm not kidding that people say wouldn't Muhammad be great on the Fed? But when you look at the Fed and you look at the changes that are coming and you look at the possibilities that uh, people are talking about, are you relatively sanguine about U.S. monetary policy, or do you think uh, we could either have some sort of change in the way they make policy and the way uh, it affects the economy, or? At, at least an interregnum where the people who are running it don't quite have their handle on uh, the, the levers of policy yet.
3: Mike Tom, thanks very much for having me on. When I think about, about your question, Mike, I think that we are now in the midst of what I call, to borrow a phrase that Ray Dalio used elsewhere, a beautiful normalization. The Fed has stopped QE It didn't disrupt the market. It didn't disrupt the economy. The Fed has hiked three times. And now the Fed is talking about reducing its balance sheet. So the Fed is in the midst of this beautiful normalization. So what comes next is really important. And it's really important because, as you have discussed earlier, the two of you, there are real uncertainty about inflation, about wage determination, about productivity. So you need a team approach to the Fed. So let's not just talk about the six names that are out there for chair if if President Trump decides to change Shay um, Yellen. But let's also talk about the other vacancies. And you're going to have to come up with a team that speaks to this intersection between economics, policy, and markets. And, and that's absolutely critical if the Fed is going to be able to continue to navigate well this historic
1: normalization. I'm just wondering because you know suppose Janet Yellen is replaced and uh we're seeing Stanley Fisher leave next month and you've got a bunch of other openings on the Fed do you do you worry we might have a, a period where you know people who are in charge as qualified as they may be just aren't used to doing what they're doing and that may be an issue
3: Yes change always involves uncertainty and you didn't mention also we're going to have a vacancy We we do have a vacancy at the Richmond Fed, uh, but the resilience of the system is important. The staff is there. The presidents of the Federal Reserves will mostly still be there. So there's quite a bit of resilience um, to the system. But, again, these are really important questions, and, and, and I would only stress the need to focus beyond the chair and ask the question of how do we come up with a group of people that have enough cognitive diversity to address what are real puzzles facing modern central banking.
0: Good, good morning, uh, Dr. O'Larian. Uh, help me with the idea of the price, the cost to society, to our listeners of chronic negative real rates. We've just seen, you know, using the 10 year in Cleveland CPI, we've just dipped back down to a negative real rate on the 10 year yield. What's the price to society? of rates of no value.
3: The price to society of negative real yields and, if you're sitting in Europe, of negative nominal Menomal, yields yeah. is, is that the market system is not built for that. So the longer they persist, the greater the pressure on the functioning of a market system. It erodes the underlying um, dynamics of a market system. So it's okay for a while and, and market economies can yeah. carry that. But if if this becomes an equilibrium, a stable equilibrium, we're going to find that the financial system has enormous difficulty, for example, providing long term protection um, products. It's about life insurance. It's about pension. Exactly. So it does have an effect about the provision of long term protection products and that has an impact on consumption and well-being.
0: But as you always do, you nail it, and I go to Megdan Desai on this at LSE in his wonderful book, Hubris, my book of the summer two years ago, which is exactly on the assumption of stable equilibrium. And Desai, of course, says, no, common is unstable equilibrium. Is that what we're in right now? Is an unstable equilibrium susceptible to some jump condition shock?
3: Yes, absolutely, and, and I love the way you put it, Tom because that's what we're in. We, 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 are, we are coming out from a period of enormous reliance on unconventional central bank policies. Um, we are yet to shift in the advanced world from a finance-dependent growth model to genuine drivers of growth. The political system yeah. is more puzzling, the geopolitical system is more uh, uncertain. So yes, this is an unstable equilibrium.
0: I can't convey enough, Mike, how important this concept is, back to Leon Walrus, the idea of equilibrium being stable, many would say is wrong, wrong, wrong. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast